Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Today we've got a great nuclear revenge story about not letting an ex save face because they cheated with their cousin. We'll get into that in a bit, but first... I'm trained to be a jerk, you are not. This concluded about three months ago. First off, let me say that I have PTSD from two tours. This isn't a brag or flex, but any vet with PTSD will vouch that it is very hard to let jerks walk away. Because of this stupid crap, I can only really work jobs alone now. I've been working a while at cleaning stores after hours. Not surface cleaning, but checking areas that have mice, etc. Dirty job, but the pay more than makes up for it. One day, I'm having some considerable back pain, so my wife, my mother-in-law, and sister-in-law cover for me. I get a call a couple of hours later from my wife complaining about the manager. Now, I've worked retail before, and I know it sucks, so I tend to give some leeway when non-retail folks say someone's being mean versus not in the mood for BS. I hear he yelled at them when they walked in that the store was closed. Okay, buddy, they used the key, chill. Then he got upset that he didn't know that there was a cleaning that day. B.S. I wrote and distributed the schedule three weeks prior, then tried to tell them where to clean. I have a contract and your employees' duties aren't included in it. I rolled my eyes at the complaint. I admit it. Managers suck and I didn't think this was a big deal. Just some incompetent GM. Then I get a call and a half hour later, GM was making some gender-based jokes to his all-male staff. Hey, you putting on your makeup? You need a tampon, etc. While they were shutting down. Okay, that's pretty tasteless, but for me it's hearsay. Then I'm told on his way out of the parking lot, they saw the GM try to open my car's door. Insert PTSD here. I call the store the next day, ask to talk to the manager on duty. I have a pretty civil convo, highlighting my concerns about the manager paying attention to his schedule and contracts. I mentioned that there was some witnessed unprofessionalism, but that's not for me to correct. Mind you, the convo is going very professionally up to this point. When I mention the car, Guy's whole attitude changes. He gets very vocal and very defensive, cutting me off and raising his voice. Before I realize, we are yelling at each other. I hang up and talk to my wife. I describe the guy based off of his voice and accent, and my wife is certain that I'm speaking to the GM. I'll call him E. I call back and simply say, I want to know what authority you had to try to get into my car. E starts to play dumb until I name the security company that patrols and monitors his lot, shared lot with other businesses, and I can request footage through the police. E says he doesn't have to explain himself to me, and he hangs up. Oh, freak no. I call back a final time. I say if we can't work this out, I have to get your boss involved. He says, fine, go ahead and call me when you do. E hangs up. Insert revenge. I won't go into how, but I will explain what happened over the next few weeks. Remember, I have a key to this store and I'm still able to show up on contracted days. E's handwritten statement about the argument goes missing. Not a huge loss, the thing was 90% lies to get ahead of what he did. Find multiple disciplinary notes that all show that Mr. E, as all of his employees seem to call him, loved to write up all of his employees for frivolous crap. 
This is a common tactic by weak managers as insurance for when employees complain about them. These also go missing. A file is found with many complaints about the store and interactions between E and customers. Copies are made. E's business starts to get multiple one-star Google reviews from various accounts. Some of the reviewers post pictures of his store's mouse infestation and product damaged by little teeth that he leaves on the shelf. Let me tell you, seeing mouse crap next to food does wonders for your Google page. Two anonymous complaints to the city about the mouse infestation within the store, with pictures, none of which match the ones I send to my bosses. One complaint to the city from an employee that cites a ton of safety violations within the store, then mentions how bad the mouse infestation has gotten and that the city should inspect and make sure they ask for proof of an exterminator. There is none. Poor gal was begging. Her name even matched an employee's name. Fancy that. Random occult symbols begin to appear in E's work journal, hidden among things he has already written. To clarify, this is because I could recall the symbols. The point wasn't for the occult, it was so things would show up in his personal journal that he didn't write. His boss's boss, contact info hanging in office, received an email detailing his unprofessionalism, gender-based harassment, and attempt to get into a vehicle that wasn't his. I also mentioned how many violations I saw as I was cleaning, broken equipment, safety hazards, lack of proper cleaning supplies, chemicals over pet food, etc. I even tried to compromise and said if they can provide a policy that says he could check my vehicle without security or law enforcement, then I'd retract my complaint. Otherwise, every scheduled cleaning that he is still there for, I'd cancel and send them a fee. Suddenly, there's a shift in the store. I still go much later to avoid people, but it is much cleaner. There are even enough cleaning supplies for the store to function. There are less passive-aggressive notes everywhere. Curious about it? I go in the office and see there is definitely a change. The complaint file is shrunk down, and the office is cleaner. Whoever is boss now sure seems like a nice lady. E receives a text from a number he won't be able to call back. Have you learned your lesson yet, his full name? Or do I need to take your next job from you too? The end. Edit, this wasn't just some random guy that happened to upset me. I read the other Google reviews and the office complaints. E was by far the biggest butt I've ever seen in management. And further digging made it clear that he, a second manager, also responsible for a filthy store I clean, and their direct manager were buddies. Simply complaining would have resulted in nothing, clearly hence me going even higher. The other stores I clean, about a dozen other locations, are nowhere nearly as bad. Every shred of evidence uncovered showed that this dude just loved to abuse the crap out of his position. I have no regrets, know what I'm saying? Edit 2. Since some people have very low reading comprehension, let me spell this out. You cannot act on words. Watch any body cam video. The cop explains to whoever assaults that words may hurt you but you can't act on them. Once I had something concrete, footage of vehicle access, I had my golden ticket. Any of you mad that I didn't jump to my wife's defense over words or just as juvenile as the manager? And when my wife told me, she wasn't crying or scared or anything. She was pissed and annoyed too. She knew I couldn't do anything about the comments. Why can't some of you? Edit 3. Having a PTSD episode does not mean I am suddenly back in the crap. This is a common misconception. Not all PTSD manifests the same. What it means for me is I enter a mindset where the opponent is an enemy, 
not a GM or a crappy driver or a rude passerby, and I have to efficiently and effectively destroy them in a way that keeps my hands clean. Final freaking edit, this wasn't about the car. This was about what one man was comfortable doing to a stranger because he thought he could get away with it. The car was just evidence I could actually... Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Storytime is sponsored by BetterHelp. Nearly everyone at some point in their life will struggle with their mental health, whether that's something stressful at work, in a personal relationship, or something else. I know that I really struggled with anxiety in my early 20s, and therapy was a massive help for me. That's why I'm a massive fan of therapy, and today's sponsor, BetterHelp. If there is anything in your life, big or small, that is negatively affecting you, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. It's an online therapy service that, after finishing a small questionnaire, will match you with a licensed therapist, where you can book appointments that match up with your schedule at any place or any time. And if you feel like you're not bonding with your therapist, you can switch at any point for free. Also, therapy isn't just if you're struggling with mental health. If you're looking for guidance or ways to improve your social skills, life, or relationships, it's a great judgment-free way of doing that. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com StorytimePod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash StorytimePod. Actually work with. For those upset that I didn't white knight my wife, she cared less about the words than some of you all did because she isn't a freaking child. I mean, whether or not you really want to get into the nitty gritty of all the details and what you can or can't act on or what OP maybe should have or shouldn't have done, you know, how OP could have gotten this nuclear revenge done even better or even earlier. Regardless, I think the point is in the end, OP did a good thing for all of these people. Anybody that was directly affected by this manager and the store itself, OP did a great thing for them. Also, hi, I'm Steven, and if you guys enjoy crazy stories of revenge, why not hit those like and subscribe buttons down below? That said, our next story is, what happens when neighborhood punks decide to beat up veteran's son? All names have been changed to protect the innocent. This is actually a story my dad told me about one of his childhood friends, George, who recently passed away. Dad and George grew up in a booming city in what's now known as the Rust Belt. You were pretty much guaranteed a job at the major car plant in town. You were pretty much guaranteed a job at the plant in town as soon as you got out of high school. George was one of those people. Dad wasn't. Dad accepted a scholarship to his dream school to study engineering. During the weekends and holidays, he'd come home and hang out with his buddies, including George. 
One afternoon, Dad gets a phone call from Grandma. George had been jumped after work and had the metaphorical tar beaten out of him. For a while, it looked like he wasn't going to make it. By some miracle, George pulled through but was in such bad shape that he had to retire early and go on disability. While on one of his visits home, George's dad Walter pulls dad aside and asks him if he knows a guy named Flynn. Dad had heard the name was one of the local troublemakers. He asked Walter why, and Walter revealed that the wallet had been found by George's body and given to him. The paramedics thought the wallet was George's. No, I have no idea why they didn't check on it. Unfortunately, the city was going through financial difficulties, thanks to corruption and mismanagement, to the point that they didn't have enough money to pay their police officers during the weekends. No, I am not kidding. From 8pm Friday night to 6am Monday morning, there wasn't a single police officer on duty. Since the assault took place on Friday night, there wasn't much anyone can do. Dad asked Walter what he was going to do about it. Walter looked at him with a stern face and said, I take care of my own. Walter was an army vet who had served during World War II in Korea. He never spoke about his time, claiming he was a radio technician and never left the base. He never breathed a word to anyone, even George's mother, his wife. The full story never came out until after George's death, when a letter Walter had written before his death was found in George's possessions. After realizing that Flynn was one of the people who had destroyed George's life, Walter got in touch with his friends. He was a personable guy, you know the type, the kind who makes friends in five minutes. They all agreed that something had to be done, and thus, Operation George's Revenge was born. Walter and his friends began observation of Flynn and would keep tabs on him. It took several weeks, but eventually Flynn and his buddies, Mac and Zeno, were overheard bragging about the attack. Knowing who to attack, they moved to the next steps. Walter's friends, some of whom worked in high places, decided to make some phone calls to their friends in the plant where all three worked. See, these friends were union, stayed was closed shop at the time, and disgusted about what happened to George, they decided to make things difficult for them. They'd remove vital tools for emergency maintenance at the last minute, put them in positions they weren't good in, and rearrange the schedule so they got the worst shifts, to name a few. They also began a whispering campaign so everyone at the plant knew what had happened. In this city back then, who you knew and what everyone thought you've done was enough to make or break you. The goal was to just get them to quit, and after a year or so, all three had quit, frustrated with how they were being treated. But Walter and his friends aren't done. Not by a long shot. A few phone calls and anonymous letters later, Flynn, Mac, and Zeno were unemployable in the district. Because they hadn't been fired, they weren't entitled to severance or anything. Soon their money ran out, but they couldn't get out of town because everyone knew from the whispering campaign what they had done to George. For the rest of their lives, Walter and his friends kept an eye on Flynn Mackenzino. Just when it appeared they had had an out, the whisper slash letter campaign would start again and they would be denied an out. The three men ended up homeless and destitute alcoholics who couldn't even get state aid. And this is in a state that is known for its generous aid for those in bad straits. Walter and his friends made a contingency plan to continue this until the three men were dead, using the next generation, so those men would never forget about what they did to George. Nobody was able to find anything out about Flynn Mackenzino, but I wouldn't be surprised that they're still stuck and miserable. 
I'm just surprised that after so much failure, after surely knowing that the community is so against them, that they would stick around in a place where they're continuing to be homeless and destitute. Like, you would think at some point they would try to do whatever they could to just get out of there and go somewhere else where the Whisper campaign can't catch up to them. Our next story is, drive over a kid's bike, pay the price. Okay, so this story took place a very long time ago, in the summer of 1969. I was about 12. I had an early morning paper route in my neighborhood. One of the first things that I bought with my earnings was a brand new 10-speed bike. It was silver with red trim. I was really proud of it, and I took very good care of it. I also used it to deliver my newspapers in the morning. One of my customers was often leaving for work around the time that I got there. I always made a point of parking my bike well off to the side while I went up to deliver his paper. This particular morning, he turned too soon and too sharply while backing out of his driveway and backed right over my bike, ruining the front sprocket and derailleur. He stuck his head out the window and asked, Is it okay? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Not exactly, I said. Well, that's what you get for leaving it behind my car. Then he drove off. I walked at home crushed and upset. I felt helpless against this adult who clearly had no intention of doing anything about it, and I didn't know what to do. My hurt, frustration, and powerlessness gradually turned to anger. I stopped delivering his paper, and when he complained, I told my supervisor that I was delivering but he just liked to complain, so ultimately it wasn't held against me. But the real revenge was yet to come. He lives on the main route through the neighborhood that all the kids took to go to the local 7-Eleven and other places. His mailbox sat on a steel fence post loosely set into the ground. That summer, I got into the habit of pulling it up and throwing it over the fence into the cemetery across the street, maybe once or twice a week. It was fun and mischievous, but it still didn't satisfy my need for revenge. He had three large frond shrubs in his front yard that would grow to six or eight feet over the course of the summer and then begin to die back. They were several feet apart with nothing else close by. One August evening, I threw a lit match into one on my way home from the 7-Eleven. I never heard anything else, but on my paper route the next morning, it was just a burnt husk in his front yard. Over the next couple weeks, I did the same to the other two. I was beginning to feel a bit satisfied. But one morning on the way home from delivering papers, I had an inspiration. I saw that the side window of his garage was open. Now, I knew that what I was considering was taking it a bit far. But I was an impulsive kid, and I thought tit-for-tat was fair. Back in the day, everybody carried road flares, aka emergency flares, in their cars. So I climbed through the window, found two flares, lit them, and stuck one right under slash behind each of his rear tires, and then climbed out and hightailed it home and went back to bed. I didn't go back to see what happened, and I stayed away from the area for several days. I knew that I'd ruined his tires. I never saw the result, but I didn't care, and I never did another thing to him. 
I mean, admittedly, full discretion, OP probably went way too far here. I mean, tit for tat, OP probably ended up much further on the scale than this guy did running over his bike. That said, it was kind of fun to hear a story about something going on in the 60s slash 70s. Kind of a window back in time, especially how all the kids go to the local 7-Eleven and the fact that people still even read newspapers back then. I'm still old enough to remember the before days when newspapers were a common thing in every household. Also the summer of 1969. Nice. This next story is, I blew up a romance scammer's life. This one is fresh and still unfolding, but it's already hit an explosive level. Some details intentionally vague. Context, I'm a woman in my 30s with a reasonably good corporate type job and a field with lots of room for growth and am recently back into the dating scene after a decade. I'm kind of a would-be-a-ten-if-she-lost-30-pounds looking girl. Beautiful face, if a bit chubby, but I never have issues getting a date. I'm not well off, but I'm stable and have a bit of spending money. I live in a large, multicultural city, and my ex was an immigrant, so I'm open to dating people of any origin. If it wasn't abundantly clear, this bit about my appearance is a joke, and only speaks to his failure to select an appropriate victim. I don't care what people think about how I look. What happened? A few weeks ago, I met a very charming man from a Latin American country, only a couple of years younger than me. Seemed very sweet, cuddly, intelligent, family-oriented, emotionally available, educated, and in a good profession back home in his country, and had a lot in common with me. Chemistry seemed amazing inside and outside the bedroom. He was honest that he was in my country on a tourist visa but was hoping to stay. I made it clear I wouldn't be able to help him with that, but we'd have a fun summer fling while he was here. If he managed to stay or come back, only then would we consider a real relationship. Then the other shoe dropped. A couple of weeks and four dates in, during a text conversation about my work, he asked me to be his sugar mommy. I initially laughed and assumed it was a joke. He kept pushing and clearly said it wasn't. Of course, feeling insulted by this, I went off on him. He maintained it as a serious ask until I hit a nerve with my complaints about how embarrassed he should be to ask me that. Then he got angry and insulted me for thinking he was serious about it. No apology for being hurtful to me. Obviously what I did next was take screenshots and cry about it to my closest friends. I was hurt that I was fooled into thinking he liked me and that he thought I needed to pay for a man. My friends started the fuse on what happened next. One of my friends started snooping more on his online presence. Together we found about six different Instagram accounts that were him using different variations of his name and different photos of himself all uploaded in batches. On Facebook, a similar pattern, all very scammy and suspicious looking. He'd been foolish enough on one of his profiles though to follow and tag the employer that he was working for illegally on his tourist visa in my country. So I contacted another close friend in a local law enforcement agency that works with immigration. She looked up his file. He had a wife and daughter at home. I released the hounds after that. The friend who helped me investigate online made several group chats on multiple platforms with all of his family, immediate and extended, and friends. She released all the screenshots as well as a rant about how shameful it was. As they started blocking her, she added more people. I found his sister's phone number. She sent her messages on there too. Everyone he knows, including his wife, knows he's unfaithful and trying to take advantage of women. 30 minutes after the online bombardment started, I got a rude message from him about how I should be smart enough to know he was joking and he doesn't need to sell himself. 
I didn't reply. Next step, online immigration reporting form with all the info we found. Work info, employer name and address, his home address, full name, date of birth, photos, screenshots admitting to working. Usually these reports take months to be reviewed, if at all, but I gave the file number to my law enforcement friend. Two days later, law enforcement officers visited him at home. They found him with a phone number that was issued to a local resident. All his roommates also had numbers issued to the same person, a direct link to the employer. He received a caution for trying to scam me, a no-contact order, and a flag on his immigration file that, based on his country of origin, will likely mean he can never return, as well as a strict warning to not work without authorization. His roommates also received warnings. His employer received a visit next. They found significant proof that they'd been employing him illegally, as well as multiple other people. Their investigation is still ongoing, but so far, they are likely to receive tens of thousands in fines or possible jail time. The guy isn't getting deported because the government would have to pay for it and proceedings take longer than his remaining visa time, but he's now upgraded from a flagged file to a multi-year ban on re-entry to my country. If he bothers me again though, he will be deported as well. Hope he enjoys going back to his angry wife and the ridicule from everyone he knows. See ya again never. Is he trying to get like a sugar mama or is he like trying to get like a visa to like leave his family behind? Or is like the family maybe in on it and it's all like a scheme to try to make money from other countries people that are foolish enough to do so? I mean I just figured that this guy is trying to find a way to leave his old family behind. Our next story is X cheated with her cousin and expected to save face. I think not. For context, it was her cousin-in-law. Let's start this story by saying this happened 12 years ago. I'm now happily married with three children and regret absolutely nothing. I was with my new ex for three years. I had noticed that she was being extremely controlling. I was expected to give every little detail of my day and tell her my schedule in advance. And if I deviated from that, she would be very upset. She chalked it up to just bad feelings she was having and shrugged it off as her paranoia for past relationships of infidelity. I had never once cheated or strayed, and I never gave her a reason to act like this. It felt unbecoming of my fiancé to act in such a way. Now this is where it gets juicy. After she had asked for my schedule to make plans, as mine tends to be more hectic than hers, I noticed she was texting someone. In my line of work, if I put in more than 40 hours, I have the ability to take time off at will as long as the work is completed at a later date. I was very good friends with a brother and still am. We laugh about this to this day and he actively reminds her of it. I messaged him stating that I wanted to do something special for her a little bit earlier than our anniversary to make sure it was a special surprise. They both worked in the same fabrication facility. He was a fabricator and she a shipping manager. He was kind enough to let me know her schedule. That's where the discrepancy falls into place. Without my knowledge, she was foregoing overtime. She worked 12-hour shifts Monday through Friday, with the exception of Wednesday when she would only work half a day. She had been taking Wednesdays off right around the time that she started getting extremely controlling. Lucky for me, I had stacked several days of leisure time up, so taking a Wednesday off for me was not an issue. A few days go by, and Wednesday's here. I put on my work gear and leave for work. I was expecting her to leave as our apartment complex had two exits on the same road. I could see directly across from a shopping center, so I parked my car near the back and waited. After about an hour, 
I noticed a very specific red Mustang with a specific decal on the back window. It was her cousin by marriage. I'd also done my due diligence to take an old laptop, which we kept on our desk in an office area with a full view of the living room, bedroom door, and bathroom plus the kitchen. I had set it up for remote access and had it alert me when the webcam noticed movement. Giving her the benefit of the doubt, I thought he may be dropping something off or coming to assist her with something, as her family sometimes does. Sure enough, a message came through, so I remote into my laptop. He walks through the door, and without skipping a beat, she unbuttons his shirt and begins kissing him. I created a URL link for the live stream, and as she was preoccupied, we had a family group text and a friend group text. They were both part of it, but at the current time, they were currently indisposed and didn't look at their phones. They didn't even wait. They could have gone to the bedroom, but no, they decided to get freaky deaky right there on the couch. I sent the link off to the friend group chat and the family group chat. Within minutes, I'm getting calls nonstop from friends and family alike. There was no turning back. She was getting blown up, but she was ignoring her phone. Not until like the fourth or fifth call came through did they decide to take a break. For context, the state I live in allows recording of personal property regardless of occupancy. I was the only one on the lease. She wasn't allowed to be on the lease because of poor credit. The call she had picked up was from her cousin's mother who she was banging. She answers the phone on speaker and I kid you not, the first words out of his mother's mouth were, Stop freaking my son. They both became rigid and she began to stutter over her words saying, What are you talking about? etc. The mother then divulged that there was a live feed of them sent out by me to her family. She grabbed every pillow off the couch and covered herself up. The cousin staggered off trying to put on his pants and shoes just to trip himself and bang his head off my coffee table, leaving it with a divot. By this time, I'd made my way to the front of the apartment complex. I was there to greet the adulterer as he came out of the front exit. He froze and began to cry, apologizing profusely. I'm not going to lie. What happened afterwards wasn't my best moment, and I nearly got into legal trouble if it weren't for the fact that he was trespassing on private property. Let's just say that I had a cast for six weeks, and he wasn't in any family photos for months. I went up to the apartment, where she was now fully clothed and crying inconsolably. I asked her if it was snot or another substance on her face. Then I told her not to answer because it didn't matter anyway. I gave her an hour to remove all of her belongings as again, everything in the apartment was mine except for clothes, some makeup, and a few kitchen utensils. Her mother would not let her move in as she was just filled with embarrassment. Same for her brothers, and the cousin's mother kicked her son out. Rumors spread around our town very quickly, and for a lack of better words, she was untouchable. OP just kept going on in the comments about what happened afterwards. She wouldn't give up a spare key. OP was at work one day and she tried to take his cat to get it euthanized. Apparently the vet checked it for a chip and called OP to make sure that they actually wanted this to happen, which obviously no. The vet threatening to have her arrested for cruelty to animals and stuff. I mean, this lady was just ridiculous. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another absolutely crazy revenge story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories.